Okay, you can be uh, opening up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be continuing there today. Uh, this will be our last lesson in, the, uh, in our study of Ephesians. Um, I think it's been a great study. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to take something from it. Uh, you know, every time I study the Bible, it seems like I'm always seeing something in it that I never saw before, you know? Do you, ever, do you ever feel that way? Or you go back into a verse, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you can read something and your mind wanders, and then you go, you don't even remember what you read. And then you go back and read it, and say, well, why didn't I see that the first time, you know? So that kind of happens a lot, and so I think it's a good thing when we can study something. Yeah, you've studied Ephesus, Ephesians before, but uh, it's always a good thing to remind ourselves of what the Lord is trying to tell us there through our Apostle Paul. Also, uh, this, this is the last one. We have about four weeks left in the, uh, in the quarter, so I think what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we're going to have a study of the book of Ruth for the last four weeks. I think that'll be a good study. Uh, usually when you study the book of Ruth, it's usually like a ladies' day or something, right? It's not usually a man leading that, right? So I'm going to give it my best try, right? And you ladies can critique me here if you want to, but uh, I'll give it a shot. Uh, but no, I think we can learn a lot from the book of Ruth. Uh, it's a wonderful book, and it's been a while since I've studied it, so I think it'll be a good study for me and a good study for you. So hopefully we can, uh, we can look forward to that. So as I mentioned, we've been studying the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote. We kind of split it out into about uh, two or three different divisions there, you know. He says here at the end, Finally, my brethren, with these words, and, and it begins his uh, closing of the letter, right? He begins to draw his epistle to a close. And this epistle has heartfully described several things. Of course, the first chapter we talked about the Christian's possessions that we have in Christ. The wonderful possessions that we have in him. And he mentions that phrase many times, right? He's constantly saying it's in him that we have these possessions. In him, and in chapter 2 and 3, he talks about our position. Because of those blessings, we now have a position where we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And he's talking, he's, he's kind of talking to the Gentiles, right? Because most of those brethren who were in the church in Ephesus are, are Gentiles. There's, there's probably some Jews in there too. But he's talking and saying, you Gentiles who didn't have the law, who didn't have the promise of Abraham, now can partake in the household of God. You can partake in that promise that God gave to Abraham that he would bless all nations through his seed. And so he did that, and Jesus did that, and Jesus' accomplishment. And Paul's talking to them now and saying, you have a wonderful position. You, are an inherit you have an inheritance from God. You are a child of God. You are an adopted son. Then he goes on in the last three chapters and says, because of that, you now have a purpose, right? You've been blessed. You've been set apart. You have a high position in the kingdom of heaven, being an adopted son of God adopted son of the king and now you have a purpose you have a calling and you are to walk according to that calling by which you were called and we talked about that particularly in chapters four and five and into chapter six last week of course we described how we do that in our families right how in our families is really how we interact with the world right we we marry into another family we get to know in-laws we get to know perhaps other family members and friends of those families. 
We have children who go to school or whatever. They interact with other children. We get to know other families through our children, right? That's how we interact with the world. Yeah, we could sit at home and watch TV and sit on the couch all day, but if you got a family, you can't do that, right? You got duties, you got things you gotta do, right? You gotta take care of stuff, and you have to interact with the world. You're in the world, and you have to do it. So that's a great way that we have to carry out our purpose. To effectively carry out this purpose, though, Paul has some concerns, and he is going to end the letter encouraging the brethren there in Ephesus. He's going to encourage them to stay strong. Let's, let's read what he has to say there, beginning chapter 6 there, beginning in verse 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, and pay attention to these verses. These are strong words he comes through. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in change, that, change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In this lesson... We have the last of the series of Lessons to the Ephesians. We're going to consider what Paul means by saying standing strong in the whole armor of God. First of all, there's two verses there. Where does our strength come from? Where do we get our strength? God, absolutely. Do we have any strength in ourselves, spiritually speaking? No, we're dead, right? We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Spiritually speaking, we have no life. We have no strength. Our strength comes from God. Again, remember what Paul said, we have rich blessings. We have a high position as being adopted children of God in Christ. That's how we get it, in Christ. We come in contact with the blood of Christ through our faith in him and our conversion through baptism, walking in newness of life, and we now get our strength from him. He says to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. And then Paul states how that power is available for every Christian beyond anything they do on their own. Of course, we all know Philippians 4.13, right? What does it say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that ought to be our attitude, right? As Christians, we have that strength to do anything we set to do in him, of course, in righteousness and in love with each other. We can do it. And it's not necessarily mean we have to do it alone, of course. We have 
our family here, we have the church, we have our brethren to help us out with that. That's why we come together. That's one of the reasons we meet in fellowship to help each other, help each other with that strength that we get from the Lord. This comes from, what does he say there? The armor of God. It is an armor that God supplies, and it is an armor that we must put on. Okay, well, it's not anything that we have in ourselves. And think back to the first century. They didn't have tanks and planes and, and atomic bombs. They had helmets and breastplates, right? So that's what he's referring to. He's referring to an army. He's referring to people preparing for battle, preparing to defend themselves against something, right? And he is the strength behind it. But he's saying, you got to put on the armor of God. you got to put on that strength. you got to take advantage of it. It's not something you just sit back and let happen. It's something that you got to participate in. The point is, we're not left to do our own feeble things. We're not left to our own feeble strength, right? But there is a divine strength that we can put on to protect us in the battles we must face. Speaking of those battles, why do we need it? Well, he says to stand against the wiles of the devil. Well, what are these wiles of the devil? Turn over to 2 Corinthians. Let's see if we can find out a little bit about that. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. Let's look at that for a minute. <clears throat> let's read uh, beginning in verse 10. Now, whom ye forgive anything... I also forgive, for indeed I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that one, that, that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. First and foremost, you've got to be aware. You've got to know what can happen, right? We've been warned. Then turning on over to chapter 4 there in 2 Corinthians, what else do we read? He says, Paul says, Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, the world's been blinded. By whom? Well, Satan, the devil. The wiles of the devil have caused people of this world not to be able to see the truth, not to be able to see the gospel. So that's one of his schemes, to blind people with false doctrine, right? Also, enticing people to indulge in illicit desires. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 3. Not participating in sexual morality not being part of lustful desires, taking control of ourselves, putting on that armor of God to help us defend and that kind of thing. And then in 1 Peter 5, he talks about the persecution that Satan will do, right? He talks about that persecution that's going to come upon those who try to do right. And of course, we read about that all through the first century in the New Testament, right? How Paul was persecuted. All the things that he had to go through and the apostles and the disciples and the Christians, right? And we have historical references to them, right? You know, the, the, the Christians who were fed to the lions for sport, right? 
And even today, we have people that lose jobs. Wait a minute, that don't happen in America. <laughs> oh, yeah. It happens more and more every day. We just have some good examples of it within the last year. We have people that might lose friends because they're Christianity. They're persecuted. Satan is always looking, always looking to devour the Christians, devour those who are of God. It's only, it's only with the Lord's help that we can overcome the wicked one. To do what? Well, to wrestle against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. It's not just Satan. We battle against other things. We just read about it. Principalities and powers. Rulers of the darkness of this age. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are, physically speaking on the earth, powerful nations, powerful countries, you might want to say, powerful entities who are ruled by Satan. Did you know that? Of course, you always hear things on the news about the great Satan of Russia or whatever, right? And, I, and, you know, I can't say for sure if they're ruled by Satan, but it sure seems like it by the, what they're doing, right? But there are places on earth that are ruled by evil. That's a fact. Not only that, there is a spiritual realm. Believe it or not, there is a spiritual realm. Rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness that rule in heavenly places. Did you know that's true? Do you believe that's true? You see, we're not in a fight against flesh and blood. Yes, we have to teach. We have to rebuke. We have to be on the defense. To make, we have to be ready to make that defense. But people are deceived. People are ruled by Satan. It's that spiritual realm where our fight is. We are now part of the kingdom of heaven. Where Christ is king, he's, re- he's sitting at the right hand of God. We are part of that fight that is going on in that spiritual realm between good and evil. And that's where our fight really is. And we have to remember that it's not the people that are the evil ones. They are ruled. They've been blinded by the devil. So you can kind of have a different perspective, right? Yeah, you get upset with the way things are in the world. You watch the news and you get fired up and mad, you know, because something happens and you don't think it's right. But remember who's behind it all. It's not so much the flesh and blood. It's, it's, it's evil. It's the devil. It's satanic. It's very real. As Christians, I don't think that's so hard for us to believe, right? We read the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. We believe the Word of God is true, right? We believe all this Scripture is inspired of God, right? Or do we? Sometimes. Where we get to thinking, ah, that's silliness. Do you ever get out there in the world and somebody talks about the fact that, yeah, these stupid people, they believe in this big bearded dude up in the sky. That's silly. There's no devil. There's no God. We have the faith that it's real, right? Because of the spiritual realm, there are demonic forces at play, right? Demonic possession was a big thing we read about in the first century, right? Not today. We don't believe that still goes on, but there are demonic forces at play. Just like 
There are spiritual forces from God. Strength that we receive from God. It's there. It's, in, it's real. And you know what? We read scriptures that say our life here is just very short, right? It's like a vapor, right? And then it vanishes away. After we pass on from this world, that's when we really see the real. That's when we'll really see what it's all about, right? In that spiritual realm, you think this is real. This is not going to compare to what that's going to be like. We're just part of the dust of the earth right now, right? We're created by God from the dust of the earth, and then we die, and our bodies, our shells go back to the earth, right? It's what's remaining that lasts. It's what's remaining that is real. I know, sometimes you get to thinking, I, you know, it's hard to imagine what a spirit is like, what a soul really is, and we don't know. We have no clue in this life, but we know the word of God is true, and we know we have a soul that's going to be eternal, and it's going to be judged. So, we have to be on the defense. <coughs> there are doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy 4 talks about that. I'm not going to read that, but that's a great verse. The first verse of 1 Timothy chapter 4, he talks about the doctrines of demons that deceive the people. And that's a good verse to read to make you aware. We may not fully understand <coughs> how the rulers of darkness operate, but we can see the need of, for strength that... Uh, provides us, that God provides us in order to stand against these forces. Well, what is the nature of this strength that he talks about here? <clears throat> it's interesting how he goes on to explain each piece, isn't it? How he talks about that first one that we read about for to be the whole armor of God that we need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, withstand that evil day. We've got to put that whole armor on. Anybody in the military would tell you, if you're going to go to battle, you better be prepared, right? You better have everything you need to go into battle or things aren't going to work too well for you. In our, our military, I was not in the military. I know some of you were. You train for days on end, don't you? You train constantly to be prepared. You're provided the most state-of-the-art things that the military has for your defense, right? And that's what we're talking about here. It's not something we just lay around and stay laid back and say, yeah, everything's good. It's not going to happen that way. It's not the way it works. we got to be ready. Every element Paul now describes is essential to be strong in the strength and the power of his might. The whole armor of God involves what? Well, first of all, he says truth which serves like a belt. We'll hold our life together with a sense of direction and purpose. I just told you. The Word of God is inspired. The Word here, the Scripture we have, is inspired. If you don't believe that the Scriptures are inspired, what happens to you? You're just blown around in the wind, aren't you? You have to have a standard, right? You have to have something that you can grab onto and say, I know this is truth, and I can depend on it. I can stand on it no matter what else somebody tells me, no matter what happens to me, I know the truth. I can read it right here. I can pray about it. 
I can understand it. That's where a belt is. I put on a belt this morning. I had to move a couple loops over because I've been eating too much lately. But that belt still holds my pants up, right? And I can depend on it. That's what we're talking about, the truth. We can depend on that truth. We know we have it. And no matter what somebody tells us or tries to do to us, we know we have the truth. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you just knew you were right and they were wrong because you had the truth? I'm, I'm seriously, did it make the argument kind of easier for you? Have you ever been with an argument with someone where you weren't quite sure you had the truth? It's a little bit harder to argue, isn't it? It's a little bit harder to make a stand. That truth is where we gird ourselves. We, we have that belt of truth to depend on. Then there is righteousness which guards us like a breastplate. Doing that which is good and right guards our hearts. Did you know that? When you do good, emotionally it stabilizes us. When you're not doing good, and especially when you have the truth to show you what is the difference, it demoralizes you, doesn't it? Emotionally, it affects you. It affects your ability to do things. You have that breastplate, that armor, that I can withstand anything because of righteousness. What a wonderful metaphor we have for that. He also uh, may be referring to the righteousness of Christ here too. And we know we have righteousness through him. It's not of ourselves. It's in him. And so we can put on that breastplate of Christ, that righteousness of Christ, right? <coughs> that protects us in that way. Uh, also, we have the gospel, the gospel of peace, which is crucial to our ability to uh, stand. Turn over to Romans, and let's read a few verses from there. Romans chapter uh, 1. Verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then go over to chapter 10 there, same book, Romans 10. And... Uh, Verse 14. And remember, Romans 1, he's referring to the Gentiles and how they didn't have the law, but they had no excuse. In 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how they, shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have that gospel of peace. That gives us strength, right? We know we have been saved. We know we have that gospel and we preach it. We preach it without fear because of the strength that comes from God. Faith which is like a shield. We hold that shield of faith out there. Strong convention in God can protect us from every fiery dart that Satan throws at us, right? It's like a shield against all that false doctrine, against the lust of the flesh, against persecution. And we have to keep that shield up. We can't let it down. It has to be up all the time. 
Our faith constantly has to be renewed through reading of the Word, through prayer, through service. I've said that many times, and I'll say it again. That's how we continue to protect ourselves, through that faith we have, that faith that comes only from the Word of God. Then he talks about salvation, which is like a helmet, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul speaks of the hope of salvation as our helmet. It's the hope that salvation provides that can protect our minds against things like despair or fear. When you have that hope of an eternal life, whatever happens to you in this life doesn't matter, right? When you put on that whole armor of God, the breastplate, the belt, carry the gospel of peace, carry that hope of salvation put that helmet on that protects us we don't have any fear then we shouldn't we don't have any fear of death because we have a hope of eternal life do you have your helmet on or do you waver a little bit do you fear death yeah I know that's easier said than done right easier said than done but as Christians, if we're put on that whole armor of God, we should be eliminating that fear. That hope we have should overcome that fear of death, that fear of eternal damnation. And of course, we have the Word of God, which is the sword, the sword of the Spirit. I know you've heard that before, right? As children... We used to have sword battles in classes, in our Bible classes. Pull out your sword. Find the scripture, you know. Yeah. The word of God is our sword. When we preach the gospel, we have to have the word. We have to understand the word. We have to know the word to make that defense. So how do you do that? You better be in it. You got to study it. You got to read it. Your Bible shouldn't be on the shelf in your closet. It should be read. How are you going to use your sword if you don't know how to use it? My dad had a, has a sword in his study from his Navy days. I guess you call it a sword. What do you call it, a dagger? I don't know what you call it. His dress sword he used to wear in his dress, whites or whatever, sitting up in a plane on a case. It's pretty cool to see it, but I doubt... He would be much good at wielding it right now. Takes a little practice. Takes a little training, right? He might go dub somebody on the head with it. I don't know. Same way with the sword of the spirit. You got to practice. You got to train. You got to know it. What else? Prayer. The means by which we remain, we remain watchful every military knows when you're in camp when you're out and about you got to have somebody watching don't you I don't know I, I just recently uh, well, I don't know if many of you know uh, Peyton Duncan Mark's son who's on uh, he's been he was they're back now but they were deployed on the uh, what's the guy's name Mark Murphy Mike Murphy the guy that was killed in Afghanistan a few years ago made a movie about it. He was on that Navy destroyer. 
and the guided missile destroyer. And I, when they came back, they, were some, they had put some stuff on Facebook. So I was watching, it was pretty cool seeing them come in the port in San Diego. I got to, then they had a whole video about their whole thing. You got three or 400 people living on a ship for six months. Uh, not for me. Not, you know, they got a bunk, you know, like this, and they're sleeping in between there. I know some of you Navy guys know what I'm talking about. But they have people that watch. Did you know that? When that ship's out at sea, there's somebody watching at all times up, in the, up on the, what do you call the thing on the top? The, the lookout, I don't know. Out at the front on the, on the stern or, the port or whatever you call it, aft, whatever. There are people out there watching all the time. These people are working. They have a job to do, and then they have a watch. And then they sleep for two hours, and then they're back at it. That's the people that defend us, by the way. But they're always watching. That's what he's talking about here. Our prayer life is part of that watch. We're always on watch. Again, it's not just something sitting in the pew. We got to participate. And it might mean you got to lose a little sleep. Jesus was in the garden, prayed all night. Matthew 26, Jesus taught that we must be watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. You remember when he came out of the garden? What were Peter, James, and John doing? They were sleeping. He says, come to my final hour and you're asleep. Yeah, but the flesh is weak. We've got to be watchful. We've got to have that watchful, sort of watchful prayer that's effective in everything that we do so that we can have perseverance in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I want to read... Turn over to Luke. I want to read this parable because it's a, I love this parable. Luke 18. Luke 18, yep. <clears throat> this is the parable of the persistent widow because it's such a paradox kind of, you know, the way we think. Let's read it and listen to it closely. Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying... There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. Do you know anybody that's like that? Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust, the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night, and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is a parable about the squeaky wheel. You heard that, right? It's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. You ever had someone that constantly complained to you about something? Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a child. You ever been a manager or somebody at work and you had an employee that kept complaining about something? No, I'm not one to complain. I'm pretty content in my life. I'm not going to be one to go badger somebody over something. But that's what this widow was doing. 
She was badgering the judge to the point where he finally did something about it. He's using this parable, a parable that we would not think is that great. We would think this woman is a jerk, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, leave me alone, man. You know, quit complaining. We all got problems. You know, shut up about it. But he's saying that's not the way it is with God. Pray unceasingly, all the time. God wants to be badgered. Doesn't mean something's going to be done about it. It's going to be in his time, but do it. Yes, ma'am. Very good. Yeah. Cookie says, yeah, they wore spikes that would cut. So you'd only be able to move forward pretty much. He's talking about the hobnail boot, right? <laughs> yeah. In the shoes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. The point being is prayer is how we stay on watch, right? That's how we are constantly aware of the devil and his ways and his wiles. So we are to constantly be in prayer, adding perseverance to our lives and asking for supplication, especially those with special needs, right? So in conclusion, we are ourselves with such, we are to adorn ourselves with such qualities as truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, hope of salvation, word of God, and prayer. That's the whole armor of God. That's it. In a nutshell, but that's it. If we are to stay strong in the Lord and the power of his might, then we must put these on. And with such strength, we are able to resist and stand against anyone and anything. The last part of this um, letter, there's a few verses I want to read now. It's beginning in verse 21. He says, but, but, that you, but that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. He mentions Tychicus. We talked about how Tychicus was one of those guys that were servants of Paul, were servants in the kingdom, assisting Paul. Paul sends Tychicus to talk about all the things they're going through in their imprisonment. Uh, and then we'll end this letter the same way Paul does. We'll close out our study, which I hope has been a great study for you, this way. Verse 23, peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen.